2: Hello Ryan, welcome to Our Changing World on RNZ National, with Alison Ballance and Veronica Meduna. Let's start at the summit of Aureki Mount Cook, which is 3,724 metres above sea level. Now that begs the question, where exactly is sea level? Land Information New Zealand, or LINZ, has just released a new vertical datum, which defines exactly where sea level is, right across New Zealand and its coastal seas. Alison catches up with Graham Blick and Rochelle Winefield to find out about measuring gravity from an airplane. They meet at the tidal gauge on Wellington's waterfront. So what we have
3: here is a device which is essentially measuring the rise and fall of the sea. So we know that every day we have sort of a tidal range in Wellington on the order of several metres. So this is measuring essentially to the surface of the sea and if we average that many, many times we can get what we would call the mean sea level. But we also record sort of the high tides, the low tides, um, and we can get different measures of tides, including the king tides, which if we're looking at things like the impacts of uh, storms and floods, then they have a greater impact when the tide is at its highest point because then you can't get rid of the water out of rivers and that as quickly as you might at low tide. So the tides become very important for a whole raft of things, including shipping, but also looking at the impacts of of floods and storm surges and so on. So this
2: is a great local tool. But Rochelle, you've been working on a project that's a bit more national than this. Do you want to tell me about that?
4: Yeah, so the tide gauge here gives really good reading about what the sea level is doing in Wellington. But um, most people want to sort of look at a New Zealand wide scale. So we've been looking at um, improving the New Zealand vertical datum, so that's um, a reference to a geoid surface rather than um, tide gauge points around the coast. And to create a geoid, you're basically finding um, the mean gravity over the the country and creating a a surface that would represent the ocean if it could flow through the, the land surface.
3: So if you could imagine, if we took all the landmass away from the world and we were just covered in sea, that surface um, would be what we would say is the shape of the Earth. Now, we always think of the Earth as being like a nice round globe, but it actually has humps and bumps in it. So, for example, the distance that you measure through the poles um, at a course level is several kilometres less than if you measure the diameter across the equator. But it gets a bit more complicated than that, because of different densities of rocks we get humps and bumps in that sea surface shape Um, and so I often suggest that the earth looks a bit more like like an orange, squashed orange, so you get like the lemon peel now sea surface can also change because of different currents and different densities of, of water so a better way to actually measure the shape of the earth rather than sea level is to measure a surface of equal gravity so we know that it at sea level, if we, we drop a, an object, it accelerates by about 9.8 metres per second. The further you get away from the surface of the Earth, the force of gravity um, decreases, so that when we get into outer space, like we do with a space shuttle, we actually start floating in space. Um, so if we can define a surface of, of equal gravity and measure that surface, it gives us the shape of the Earth, which is very similar to the surface as would be defined by sea level, but it can differ by a metre or so just because of the density of water and currents and so on. And, and that surface that we then measure, that would then deviate by perhaps well, up to 60 or so metres from a nice, regular, mathematical surface of the Earth, which we often call an oblate spheroid. And the way to manage an oblate spheroid is to take a hula hoop, and if you put your hand at the top and imagine that's the North Pole, and the hand at the bottom, imagine that's the South Pole, and squash it down so you get an ellipse. It's not a circle anymore, it's turned into a bit of an ellipse. And then rotate that around through 360 degrees. You get a nice mathematical model of the Earth, which for surveying is really great, because we can determine what that model is. But then this gravity model, this or the sea level model, will deviate from that nice mathematical surface by perhaps 50 or 60 metres. And it's that surface that we want to try and measure more accurately because if you use devices such as GPS and get a height from a GPS receiver, it will be in terms of a nice mathematical model because the satellites are orbiting at 22,000 kilometres away and we have to have a nice mathematical model, but it means the heights. If you're standing at sea level, it could be telling you if you used a GPS that you could be plus or minus 60 metres away from it. So we want to get from that GPS derived height to a height which are, which is nearer to sea level and that's why we need this accurate geoid model.
2: Okay, so the vertical datum that Rochelle was talking about, that's in a sense your zero baseline and everything then is either something centimetres or metres above that or centimetres or metres below that.
3: That's right, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So for For surveying, for surveyors or for engineers that are wanting to put in pipes, they want to make sure that water flows downhill, the the pipes flow downhill. If we're looking at a building, we need heights really accurate to to build buildings. Um, On our maps we have contour lines, so we have to have have heights. Uh, We need to know the heights of the likes of Ourraki, Mount Cook, and so to do that we need a common reference surface from which we can then measure all those heights.
2: To make sure water flows downhill. To make
3: sure that water flows downhill, that's right, really important.
2: (laughs) So what's your role been in this? I think you've been flying around New Zealand quite a bit.
4: Yeah, so I've been working on this project for a, a little over four years, so the project's changed quite a bit over that time. The, f- the first two years were involved with the collection of a National Airborne Gravity data set, and this hasn't been done in New Zealand before. Um, basically what that was was um, putting a gravity meter, so an, an instrument table to measure gravity, in an aircraft and um, flying the whole country. Um, it was about 55,000 linear kilometres of um, flight lines that we did there. So you mowed the lawn you went up I and mowed, down the country. Exactly, That's exactly how it was done, back and forward, back and forward, um, eight hours on a, on a flight at the time and 75 flights. So it
2: took a couple of years to do that? Yes, yeah,
4: so we did that over over two summers. And what this provided both us was a, basically a, a snapshot of New Zealand's gravity field that it was only taken over a couple of summers um, compared to the other data sets that we have for gravity like the terrestrial data which was collected over a 30 um, a year period back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So, so that involved
2: people walking around the country basically taking measurements at a few places.
4: Yeah, and that, that's one of the benefits of the airborne gravity data set is that we could get a uniform coverage of the country. So taking a gravity measurement, a few years ago I had the pleasure of being in Antarctica and Gary Wilson from
2: the University of Otago was measuring gravity, and it was a quite a cumbersome and, and fiddly process to do from memory.
4: Yes, yeah, so down in Antarctica you, um, they were using a, an absolute gravity meter. Basically there are two, two methods of um, measuring gravity. One of them is to um, drop a weight and see how long it takes to fall, and um, that's what they were doing for the absolute gravity measurements. But in our case, with the airborne gravity, or the flights, um, we were using a, a dynamic gravity meter, and so in this case, rather than dropping a weight, we had a weight um, at the end of a spring, and as the gravity field changed, the, the spring would move up and down with the, with the gravity field, so we could take instantaneous measurements as we were travelling.
2: And I take it they're very precise. So what, what sort of
4: differences are you looking for across the country? Is New Zealand pretty uniform in terms of its gravity? Oh, it definitely changes. The gravity field changes. And it changes through the mass of rocks or geology. It also changes due to the density of geology. Um, it changes um, how far you're away from the centre of the earth. Um, it also changes. Not that we're using it for the study, but over over time as well. So when there's um, large snowfalls or rainfalls, it, it is possible to measure changes in gravity there as well.
2: How did you factor on the fact that you were in an aeroplane and so therefore you've got you're not on the ground? You're some thousands of metres well, above it. Pe-
4: people have wanted to do surveys. By, by um, gravity surveys by um, aeroplane for a long time, um, since the 80s, they've been able to do magnetic surveys. But gravity surveys are a little bit difficult because what we're doing is essentially measuring um, changes of acceleration, and because um, gravity is a type of acceleration. So as the aircraft's moving along, it's um, it, it's accelerating. So um, it hasn't been until the advent of of GPS and of of GPS at the second real-time kinematic level that we were actually able to use the, the GPS measurements to remove the effects of the aircraft from the gravity signal. So GPS is useful there to sort of just subtract the aeroplane, really? Well, also, GPS is, is the cause of the problem as well. So prior to, to GPS, the way that you would get a, a, a height is by um, precise levelling. Precise levelling is quite a um, time consuming and costly process, and again, it's easy to access areas, so at the moment it's mainly along roadways. But um, GPS means that we can get a height, uh, we can take measurements everywhere and we're not constrained to those height, height networks. Unfortunately, to be able to use a um, GPS measurement to to find out which way um, water will flow, you need to have this this geoid model to make a correction and you can't make that geoid model without uh, GPS. So that is the cause and solution to all of our problems. So this vertical datum that we now have that's... It's a
2: very accurate data set, and it will stand us in good stead for a few years to come.
3: Yes, so the, the accuracy of, of this new datum has an accuracy of about 2 to 3 centimetres. So for a lot of applications, including engineering, that will enable um, surveyors, engineers to be able to, to use this the system for... Subdivisional design work for a lot of development work. Um, but equally important, if you look at it from a global perspective, to have these very stable and accurate reference frames are really important to, to monitor global change. Um, to have a stable reference frame is important if you want to measure sea level um, around the world and compare it because you need to have some kind of global reference frame to do that. So what we're doing in New Zealand will will contribute to um, what we call global geodesy, global reference frames, to look at global change, the impacts of sea level rise, the impacts of potential melting of the ice sheets, of, uh, I guess, more severe weather events that we're going to see in the future. So there are many, many applications that, that we can use this reference frame for into the future.
2: So, Rochelle, you spent two years collecting the data. You spent another couple of years getting it into shape to be released?
4: Yeah, so we have spent um, my, myself and a, um, we had a PhD student who um, won a scholarship at Victoria University uh, we we worked on processing the the data, compiling it, and um, basically creating creating the the geoid model, which is the the reference surface for the for the vertical datum, and it's um, just the number of, of points there. When we were doing the final calculations of the geoid, it was it was actually taking up to two weeks to um, to do the full calculations. So um, there was quite a lot of data there to process, and that's now a publicly available data set for people.
3: Yes, I think that's really important. So the, the gravity data set that we collected for our purposes has been to derive this geoid model. Uh, but it also has many, many other applications. So already we've had interest from people in the, in the geological community because the change in gravity also tells you something about the subsurface geology. And from that we can tell something about potentially where there are minerals or, or maybe oil. So there's already been this interest in the actual gravity data set itself. And, um, and the policy that the LINS has and, and the government has is to make these data sets uh, openly available for anyone who wants to use it. So collect once, but use it many times. At the launch
2: of the vertical data at Lins, I catch up with some geologists. They are particularly interested in the gravity data.
1: So GNS science have been collecting gravity for decades. We are an institution that uses gravity data for understanding the structure of the Earth.
0: Gravity is fundamental to exploring the Earth. Whether you're interested in uh, geothermal fields or earthquake faults or um, basins which might have minerals of interest in them, uh, these things are likely to produce an anomaly in the Earth's gravity field that you can use to tell you something about the things you're interested in. So anyone who is interested in um, exploring the Earth for whatever reason now has a, a very good benchmark
1: starting point to begin their investigation. It's a beautiful data set because it both has onshore and offshore components and the other beauty about it is that it's a regular data set collected with one metre.
2: So how far offshore does the data set go around New Zealand?
1: The airborne gravity data are, have been flown to fill a gap of about 25 kilometers offshore, where now we can match with shipborne data we had before. And this was a unique way to join the two data because we always had a problem in in this uh, gap between offshore and onshore, where land observations and shipborne observation didn't really match together. But with the airborne data, now we can really join the two data sets together. One of the beauties of this project is that. In developing the capability to do airborne gravity, we're now using that in another project in Antarctica, and that's a massive project to fly the Ross Ice Shelf. And from that we'll be able to determine the crustal structure underneath the Ross Ice Shelf and also the water depth.
2: The Ross Ice Shelf, that's an area that's much larger than New Zealand, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's correct. That's the size of France. They'll be flying 30 to 60 missions, to get about a 10 kilometer by 10 kilometer grid.
0: As far as I'm aware, uh, there are only two other countries that have such a gravity data set based on aerogravity, two whole countries, uh, they being Taiwan, which is, has some similarities to New Zealand, and Mongolia, which doesn't. And the reason that Mongolia um, had a, an aerogravity survey done was because they had no, or almost no, information about their vertical datum at all. And an aerogravity survey was far and away the easiest and cheapest way of surveying the entirety of that country.
2: And that was Ewan Smith from Victoria, University of Wellington. And you also heard from Warren Stagpole and Fabio Tontini, who are both at GNS Science. Graham Blick is Chief Deodicist at Linz and Rochelle Winefield is a geodetic surveyor also at Linz. Thanks for listening to this Changing World podcast. And you can find more stories on our web page, rnz.co.nz slash OutChangingWorld Ka Botox Cosmetic out toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is
4: right for you
1: For full prescribing information including boxed warning visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300
2: Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name